50 different perspectives and stories on gratitude, this book captures what most books don't. The secret sauce is in the number of voices and stories where you'll be sure to find a personal connection to so many as I did. A really excellent book, David Freeman. Found exclusively on Amazon.com. Hi, I'm Chris, and this is Scratch Space Radio. Welcome, welcome. Well, we've got a lot of people here today. Actually, I believe this is the most uh, I've ever done a live stream with, so I'm very excited here. I want to just go ahead and introduce my co-host, Mr. Peter Williams. Good morning, Peter. Good evening, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's morning, Hong Kong, evening, uh, US. So uh, thanks for hosting this another experiment in this series of podcasts. Oh, for sure, man. I'm excited. The more the merrier. I, I always enjoy meeting your friends. And now the great thing is, is I'm meeting friends of friends. We're doing this like cascading thing, compounding. which is exciting. Yes. Yeah, I love the compounding. It's good fun. So a bit of context. Uh, I met you um, through a random series of connections. Um, Gratitude and Pasta was a virtual dinner series that I attended. Uh, a few weeks later, um, I invited a friend, um, another Chris, Texan living in Taipei, and he did a walking tour of his neighborhood. The following week, I thought, oh, that was that, that worked out pretty well. How about I go and do a walking tour of my neighborhood? And halfway through that, we got introduced via email um, where another Chris in New York said, Chris, meet Peter, and that was it. And we started this conversation. I was writing a book, you were writing a book, and uh, this serendipity series of, of adventures kept on evolving. You interviewed me for a podcast. Um, then I said, well, I've got a lot of people that I, I featured in my book. Um, we could bring them on sort of one at a time and, and uh, start a conversation. And last week, or I think it was a week or two ago, we spoke to Oscar, who has just published his book, Dear Hong Kong. And today we're bringing in one of the first um, people that is featured in that book, <clears throat> which is, excuse me, uh, featuring 80 people from different countries that are living in Hong Kong. So today we've got Phyllis and uh, her daughter, Alia, to talk about their amazing project and work at Mother's Choice. So I'm going to pause there and maybe you can bring on Oscar and he can he can fill in some of the gaps. Well, real quick, I wanted you to just uh, plug your book, bro. Yeah. So my book is just, a, uh, you know, too many adventures happened over the last 10 years living in Hong Kong. And I wanted to capture those. And, and Productive Accidents is the title. It refers to an idea that a business school professor um, taught us um, when I finished at the University of Chicago about 10 years ago. Um, he'd gone back 100 years and looked at how does innovation happen. And he basically boiled people into two different categories, people that operated in silos, kind of closed networks. And maybe in a work situation, they might just hang around their cubicle. They might know their, their company, their, their department, their industry, but they don't really reach beyond that. And, you know, those people are good at executing and optimizing, but maybe if you ask them to reinvent their industry, they'll probably struggle. So the alternative is to have an open network and to be the bridge between lots of different personalities and locations and industries and mindsets. And that's where a lot of magic starts to happen, these productive accidents or serendipity. And uh, he boiled all his research down into that single phrase, put yourself at risk of productive accident. And today is a continuation of that mindset. You know, we're going to start some conversations here that might turn into another connection or collaboration or a new series of ideas that we wouldn't have been able to come up with individually. But the more we play with this idea and be experimental, the more good things start to happen. So hopefully 
that's going to prompt some ideas from Phyllis and Alia in terms of their journey, because I'm sure there's been some luck and, and chance and serendipity along the way that maybe they can share with us today. Sounds great. Let's let's go ahead and bring Oscar on. Oscar, hey buddy, there you are. Hello, good morning. How are you? Good. Welcome. Happy to be here, man. It was last Sun. I think it was last Sunday morning, so it was about a week ago. We were all together. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah, we're all here again. Good morning and your evening. So yeah, and see, yeah. And see the sun rising here and the sunset in there is good. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks. Thanks for you want to before we bring on your guests. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your book. And I even got a little image I made, too. So, yeah. So, I mean, uh, a couple of years back, uh, I started working on this uh, project, uh, Dear Hong Kong. So bringing uh, the stories uh, and portraits of uh, very inspiring people, actually the most inspiring people from every country in the world that live in Hong Kong, because we believe that the, one of the beautiful things about uh, Hong Kong is the diversity. And we want to promote that within the society. So it's a non-profit uh, project to try to bring this awareness into, into the more local society in Hong Kong and bridge this gap between the foreign and the local communities. So I've been delighted to, to, to be working on this, uh, meeting amazing people around the way. So people that are in this, uh, in this podcast and many, many others. I met uh, Peter at the Creative Mornings and said, who is this guy? He's talking about this idea of product accidents and the, you know, uh, finding uh, new opportunities in, in connections with, uh, with people and ideas and, and, and sharing that. I think that's what it's all about. And I mean, we have been asking around, like, who is the most inspiring person from a different place? So I think, uh, I mean, the US is a, is a big uh, country, is very much represented in Hong Kong. So, uh, but for us, it was like uh, very, very obvious uh, to, to have a, to have Phyllis uh, as founder of uh, Mother's Choice. Uh, and today we are, we are lucky to have Ali as well, uh, the CEO of the, of the organization. So I'm super excited to, to talk to, to them. Awesome. Well, let's, let's go ahead and bring them on then. Here we go. Hey, we're all here. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, Oscar, do you want to, I mean, you, can you express to how, or Phyllis, would you like to talk about maybe the first time you met Oscar or how that connection came about? Oscar, do you remember? <laughs> it was certainly an accident that we, that we got to meet each other. It was during the protests. Um, yes. that's, that's the first time I met you. And we were having coffee and everybody was running around and running out of the building. And that was my first meeting with Oscar. Oh, wow! At the time, I think it was six o'clock, and suddenly the shopping mall closed because of the protest or something, and we had to run, run away or something. And I think that the interview was like a half cut in the middle, and then we met again to to finish it. And uh, yeah, very, very exciting times. It was an exciting time. Yeah. But even before that, before you arranged that 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 interview, how did you connect? Well, I, th I think we got in touch directly with you. I mean, because we knew, uh, well, I mean, I started the project with my colleague, Eggy, and, and see, I mean, you, you should have seen her face when, when I told her, like, okay, we're, we're going to try to interview the founder of Mother's Choice, because for her, as a, as a local girl here, she was so aware of the organization, but she didn't have a clue who was behind. And uh, so, yeah, she was super excited. I, I think, Phyllis, you could feel it when, when we met you for the first time. And, yeah, yeah that was a... Uh, 
that was very good. And then we had a series of conversations uh, afterwards. And I think, like with the with the majority of people we interviewed for the book, we we became friends, which is a yes. very good thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, if for you're people who have about- never heard of Mother's Choice, maybe maybe Alia can go into her CEO role and give us the the elevator pitch. <laughs> Well, Mother's Choice is very much a local charity here in Hong Kong, which is probably, Oscar, why your colleague was surprised to learn that um, there were people from different countries behind the organization, since we very much serve local babies and children here in Hong Kong. But our focus is really on babies and children who don't have families, who are in the residential care system, as well as very young pregnant teenagers Uh, often who have grown up in the residential care system themselves. And our vision is to see every child, every um, young girl grow up in a safe, loving, and permanent family. And it's our belief that when children grow up knowing that they're loved in a safe and forever family, that that is something that can totally transform a community that it changes a city for everybody who lives there. Yeah, amazing. And and it's founded when? How many years ago? Yeah, so Mother's Choice started uh, 34 years ago now. Actually, the idea came about 35 years ago when there was a series of articles in the newspaper about the plight of young women who were facing crisis pregnancy and how they were treated by our community. Uh, and that's really sort of the productive accident behind uh, Mother's Choice is that it was actually this series of articles made the front page of the newspaper here in Hong Kong. And the details were so gruesome and so shocking that everybody in the city was talking about it. This is back in 1986. But I think the totally radical thing about Mother's Choice is there were two couples who were from different countries, from the United States and from India, who read it, who were upset about it, but had this, I don't know, I guess a little bit of crazy courage after discussing it, instead of saying, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Why don't, why don't the they or the government or somebody do something? They had the courage to ask themselves, wow, this is really terrible. What can we do about it? Even though we don't really speak the local language very well, You know, we don't necessarily have the right experience, so we don't have access to the right resources, we don't have money, we have young kids, we don't have time, but they were willing to say, what can I do? And that led to a whole series of productive accidents where um, their friends and family members and volunteers across the community came together to say, um, we want to start Mother's Choice. And, and that was 34 years ago. And Um, you know, we've helped actually hundreds of thousands of young women and children and vulnerable families in our city. And I just think we're still very much a volunteer organization. 80% of our workforce is volunteer. And I just think there are people from, you know, almost every country on the planet who've served as volunteers here. And I think that's really been our strength. You know, it's having perspectives and experience and real professional experiences too, you know, in child development, in adolescent medicine, in um, attachment theory, trauma, you know, 
really people from all over the world with all different experiences coming together and, and making a significant difference in the lives of the most vulnerable children in our city. So I think, you know, we're sort of the, the walking experience of productive accidents and also how the diversity of our city in Hong Kong has really been our strength. The interesting thing is we are, our purpose is to change people's lives and give second chances. And as we have all of these volunteers, I quite often say, why did you come to Mother's Choice? How do you feel about it? How do you feel about uh, volunteering? And they always say, well, I thought I was a really good person and I was going to help. But they say, I'm the person that gets helped because the more I get, the more I get. Mm. Uh, and the more I realize that I'm able to change my community and I'm able to change the attitudes towards adoption or or young single pregnant girls. So it's been a real surprise for us that you always get more than you can give. What were some of the big milestones, right? When you first started out and how did you come up with the name and just, you know, some of the big memories that you have along the way? Yeah, so how we came up with the name was my friend that had invited me over for coffee the morning that newspaper article came out told me this her own personal story of her, her sister who was very young and got pregnant and how she was sent away, and how the, the parents never even mentioned her name for over a year. And right. after she came back and my friend said to her sister, where were you and what happened? Uh, she found out that her sister had had a baby and her sister was so sad and the baby was taken away. And she said to me about the article, after reading the article, she said, my sister would not have chosen this. What mm. happened to her? my sister would have loved having her baby. And her sister actually died months later because she refused to eat. So uh, that's where Mother's Choice came in. Mm. Uh, we said that we would not be judgmental, uh, that we, we would help anybody who needed help. And so that's the premise with which Mother's Choice started. Uh, much to our surprise, these two couples got on the front page of the newspaper that next day and they said, there's a group of people who are willing to help any pregnant girl that needs help. And at nine o'clock that morning, we got our first call. Wow. Uh, it was from a nurse that was in the hospital. Uh, that evening, the evening before, a social worker was in a study room in one of the housing estates. And as she was closing up for the evening, she found a really young girl hiding under a desk and she was very pregnant and she was trying to find a safe place to sleep. The social worker didn't know what to do with her, so she got her in a, got her in a taxi and left her at the local hospital. And uh, of course, she we'd been in the hospital in emergency at night. We know what a lonely place that is and, and what it's like. And so uh, the next morning there was a nurse going on her way to work, reading the newspaper, and she saw that there was this article about these people who were willing to help pregnant girls. She went into work and they were having a meeting, handing over night staff to the morning staff. And they said, this girl is very young. She's very pregnant. She won't talk. She won't say what her name is or where she came from, but she can't stay here because she's not sick. So the girl had just been waiting in the, in the emergency ward all this time. And they, so the nurse said, I just read this article about these people we're willing to help pregnant girls. So 
They called us on the phone at nine that morning and said, we have a girl, would you come and get her? We were totally shocked. We were mm -hmm. not prepared. We didn't have you know, the experience. We, it was just an idea. And we had our first girl on the first day. Uh, my now. Yes, my friend made a, 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 a cot for her in their house. And uh, the next morning, as they knocked on the door to ask her if she wanted something to eat, the girl was having her baby. So the second day we had our first baby. Taken to the hospital, we went to visit the baby and we said to the nurse, uh, what's gonna to happen to the baby? And she said the baby would go into a local orphanage. So my friend and I said, we didn't know there were local orphanages. And so we said, what are the names? And we went to visit and we thought back and we said, no way. We're going to have to keep our babies. So everything happened within a couple of days. All the decisions that we made happened like really quickly. So that child is now 34 in Hong yes. Kong? And There's, you're still in touch? We don't know. I, I yeah. never kept track of that girl or the baby because mm -hmm. we were too inexperienced to realize that we need to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do work with adult adoptees who are in their 30s. Uh, uh, we have a group that meet once a month. Uh, the oldest one is 75 years old, uh, not adopted from Mother's Choice, but we get many Mother's Choice babies come back. That allows them just to talk about their experiences and help each other, and it's it's the best thing that I do. Amazing. Yeah. And you've so got a big family yourself, Phyllis, right? I want to uh, maybe dig, dig into that because that's how I, I met you guys through Complete Productive Accent. Maybe we can talk about later, but it was just ridiculous how, how to me and how it sort of happened. And then to discover another connection through that conversation, which is through Shafan, your son, who's on the board of Resolve Foundation. And I'd, I'd never even met you guys, but I just happened to grab the only empty seat under that marquee at it, at it, uh, a golf event and I sat down and you know had a chat and discovered you were connected to Mother's Choice and then somehow I don't know how we discovered that you know Shafan was on Resolve and how we started talking about that but to me that's that's crazy I didn't know that Shafan was from such a big family and then I don't know if it was at that time or when we had lunch earlier with my daughter Sarah and you started talking about your six children and, and how you met your husband. And we've got to go into that at some stage because you've got to turn that into a movie. There's no, no doubt. Oh, I want to hear I want to hear that, please. <laughs> how did you meet your husband? Our, our whole family is a series of productive accidents. So my mom is the mom of seven kids. I'm the eldest of seven kids. She met my dad actually on the Star Ferry. So um you know, that was such a miracle story how our family um, got started. And then of course, how Mother's Choice got started. And even how I met my husband is, is pretty crazy. I, I met him at a wedding in Ireland, my very first time in Ireland. Um, he's Irish, but grew up in Africa. And we were in town from New York or something, right? So it was totally, <laughs> even that I was, was living in New York at the time. And uh, yeah, so he, his childhood best friend um, married one of my childhood best friends and we, we met at the wedding and he somehow convinced me to go to dinner with him the next night in London, which is where I was flying through uh, uh, on my way back. And then somehow convinced me at dinner to go straight to the airport with him and fly to Spain, 
he didn't mention that he was going there on holiday with his whole family. So um, I ended up meeting the family on my first date. Uh, <laughs> by the end of that, uh, by the end of a few days in Spain, you know, he said, I think I need to meet your family now too. So we had a very whirlwind courtship and we got engaged after only a few months and we got married less than a year after we met. Uh, and uh, we didn't live in the same country until a few months after we got married, but uh, we moved back to Hong Kong, I guess, uh, uh, about 12 and a half years ago now. And I was practicing as a lawyer. So never in a million years, even though I grew up with Mother's Choice and my six younger siblings and I all volunteered at Mother's Choice growing up and watched our parents and their friends go through this journey of um, yeah, having the courage to respond to a crisis in their own community, even though they didn't have the right CV. Um, you know, I wanted to help as a volunteer, but I never in a million years saw myself as working here full time. I, I mean, I was busy as an M&A lawyer, uh, but you know, I had I had one of those kind of critical light bulb moments in my own life uh, a few years after moving back to Hong Kong and realizing this is really a calling for me. And, you know, you mentioned my brother, Peter, but all of my siblings and I are really passionate about giving back to our community. I think just watching the example of my parents yeah. and. Uh, you know, it's I'm realizing that I have a calling on my life, too, and my calling is really to family, not just my six kids and my husband or my mom and my siblings. But, you know, I think the mission of Mother's Choice is really redefining what family is for our city and for our community and recognizing that family is not just a biological connection, but family is really defined by love and commitment. And we want to change the way that people think about family and that if the people that we see when we are walking down the street, when we get on the bus, when we go into the subway, when we're sitting in the coffee shop, if we can see that everybody in our city is our brother and our sister, our mother and our father, our child, if we, if we, um, yeah, if we change our definition of family, actually our city can be transformed. Yes. Our favorite quote is that Mother Teresa, she said, the problem with the world is that we draw the circle of our family too small. And I think mm. that really speaks not just to the mission of Mother's Choice, but I think to our personal mission in our family is really how can we how can we see everybody who's vulnerable, who's hurting, who needs help as our own family member in our city? Good. Uh, and, and thinking about my own children, I think a lot about legacy. What legacy do you leave when when you're alive? Right. Every day we're writing a chapter of our own book, and yeah. for me, the legacy that we get, the legacy that I got from my parents was was to help uh, the community too. My father worked with the poor all of his life, and they were experts at hospitality and bringing people in, and we called people aunts and uncles that weren't related to us. And, uh, and passing that down, uh, we lead that with our children and our friends too by being personal examples, and I think that that's what my parents did for me, and yeah. hopefully I did for my kids as well. Where did you grow up, Phyllis? I grew up in Taos, New Mexico. We were the only white family in our little town. So I grew up with multicultural, uh, and I'm a third culture kid from the very beginning. Uh, mm. So it's easy for me to adjust here in Hong Kong uh, to have friends um, 
from very different diversity groups. And how many were in your family? Uh, I'm one of seven children as well. Wow. Uh, there are five of us still living. Uh, my oldest brother's in his 80s. I'm 73. Uh, so we all we all learned a lot from and got this legacy, I think, from my parents. So there's some other numbers popping up. So my wife is the oldest of seven children, and I'm the youngest of six. And uh, so all of these numbers keep on popping up through your conversations here. It's, you know, seven, seven, six. Uh, in mine, we have three sisters up the top and then three boys. Um, wow. And then I need to jump ahead. My, my mother-in-law is one of 11, and my dad is one of 14, which is bizarre. But he's, he had five older brothers, two sisters, five boys, and then two girls. So it's five, two, five, two. Um, wow. So, yeah, lots of stories. And I only got interested in writing stories because two of my uncles who went to World War II, um, five of the, the, old, the older five brothers all went to World War II, um, shot down, presumed dead, POWs, all this other stuff. But later in life, two of them decided to write their book. And it wasn't to be published. It was just to make sure it was captured for their children and grandchildren. And, um, you know, my kids know there were five people in uniform, but you know, their kids will only know there were two because only two bothered to write it down. So that's what inspired me to end up writing as well, you know, because you need to write your book for sure. Each of you, you know, both of you. And your mother's first story. <laughs> so many yeah. stories, so many stories, and you just forget. Uh, I should yeah. have started writing a long time ago. But memories you do, do You can start today. Just start you know, <laughs> one, one page at a time. Actually, the most inspiring, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just going to say, you know, all three of you have written books, and you keep using the word story, but I think that's the one key learning for us with our family and with Mother's Choice is that we all have a story, actually. We all have a story, and I think, the number one thing, we have eight different services. We serve thousands of clients, children in the residential care system, young people who are pregnant or at risk of becoming pregnant, um, birth families, adoptive families. We, we work with the community, equipping the community around these families and children. But I think the number one thing that we've learned, and it's really the mission of Mother's Choice, is to join hands with the community to give hope and change life stories. And it's the changing life stories piece that I just wanted to highlight because mm. oftentimes as we have more intimate conversations with people, the thing that the common thing that I hear from people is it's too late for me. You know, mm. my, my story is already, it's too dysfunctional. It's too messed up. Too many bad things have happened to me or I've made too many bad mistakes. Like I've done bad things. And what we've learned in the 34 years of being around my choice is that it's really never too late, you know, and there is no such thing as a hopeless case. There is, there's hope for every single person and even our family is not perfect and we have our own dysfunctions. Really? <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we've learned that it doesn't matter how many bad things have happened, that there you can always change your perspective. You can always choose another path. You know, there is redemption available for every single person. And we see it on a daily basis. You know, we care for many children with 
um, extreme special needs or who've been exposed to a lot of trauma and abuse. Um, we have doctors or social workers, when they're referring those children to us that say they'll never have a family or, or they'll never walk or they'll never talk, or this young woman has been so traumatized and so abused, she'll never be able to have a normal life. She'll never be able to have healthy relationships. And um, we just smile and nod because we know that that isn't true. You know, um, yeah, we see miracles and that children can walk and talk. I really believe that there is a family for every child, but there is no such thing as a hopeless case. And it doesn't minimize the pain and the trauma that people have been through. Doesn't mean that their life is gonna look like none, those things never happen, but life can be good. And there really is hope for everybody. And that's why we've been so inspired working with Oscar too on his Dear Hong Kong book, because yeah. you know, that was the common thread for every single person from every different country. Uh, really different experiences and different challenges and um, you know, different lenses through which, to, but they all were hopeful, you know? despite facing challenges and despite having different perspectives. So that's, that's you know, like a, every, You're right, like every, everybody has a story and uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that, but uh, through the people that we interview in the book, we always want to pinpoint that the magic from the story where, where everything happens. And I think uh, if I have to say from, uh, from Philly's story, I think uh, we're really, really touched at that moment that they, you share with us, like uh, at, that, at one point in my life, I decided to be kind to everybody. So my children, everybody around me, this uh, concept of extended family that uh, Alia, you put so well, hmm. and, and that's the beginning of everything. So, uh, I mean, after that, we have met uh, some members of your family. We see that uh, happening everywhere. So you were able to, to make that conscious decision and then uh, split yes. and, and, and make it a legacy. That's uh, and that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So inspiring. It's, it's not how you feel; it's what you decide, right? Yeah. And I decided that that's what I was going to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's a decision that we can all make. Uh, it's not that it comes easy, but we can all do it. We can all help each other. That one, of the, like one of the best questions uh, I kind of discovered through a guy I helped with his TEDx talk. Um, he created a dinner series and the whole mindset um, of these dinners is based on a question, which is how can I help? And you can ask yourself that question literally, or it can be some sort of abstract thing. But, you know, you guys asked yourselves that question. That's how Mother's Choice came about. And the next day you were, you were, you know, you, you're off and running and you're still going, which is amazing. But, you know, I, we were supporting schools in Tanzania and it's funny how you talked about hopeless causes. Their, their um, patron, I guess, was, it's called the School of St. Jude. And um, the founder wrote her biography, an Australian lady who went over there as a, as a maybe a teenager or early 20s. She went back there and started a school with three children. And it's all about fighting poverty through education. And apparently the School of St. Jude or the St. Jude was the patron saint of hopeless causes which means there's no such thing as a hopeless cause. And I was reading the book in about 2007, and um, this was only five years after it had started. They had three children on day one, 1,100 children when I was reading it, I think 1,800 children now. And the best thing that she did in her book was that she said, look, we have zero marketing budget. It's all word of mouth. And so, okay, I have a decent network. I can share your story. 
we were living in Singapore and at the end of the book, um, it had her email address and I wrote to her and said, look, this is amazing what you've been able to do, keep up the good work. And by the way, we have a mutual friend because she grew up in a town not too far from where I grew up. And I didn't think she would see my email or read it or reply, but it was, I guess it was evening Singapore, morning Tanzania, and she came straight back and we started this conversation. And if it wasn't for me reading that book, I wouldn't have gotten involved in Resolve or Music for Life or Room to Read and all these other things. So, you know, these things compound over time when you realize you can help. And the big realization for me with Resolve was, you know, sure, helping people in Tanzania is good, but there's people right here in Hong Kong that we can help you know, just as much. Yes. So I, I just want to speak to that, though, Peter. Having the courage to do something, having the courage to engage with um, what somebody else might call a hopeless case, you have to have a sense of hope internally. And my mom may not brag on this about herself, but there's a very concrete reason why I think my siblings and I, and why I hope my children have the courage and the hope to engage with the vulnerable or the hopeless in our own, um, in our own communities. And I think you can cultivate hope by really practicing gratitude. And that's why I was really, um, I was so excited to be able to participate with my Mom, in this interview, Chris, um, when I heard about your book and gratitude space, because actually she, she talked about it being a decision, but actually there's a discipline around gratitude. And when you practice gratitude, there is something that changes in how you view the world. And, and maybe you can just share about, about how you did that and how that's changed us and even your grandkids. I don't know. It comes. I have not thought about that question before. <laughs> yes, you do it naturally. I, I, I always think, you know, when you're depressed or when you're feeling bad about something, I have always practiced uh, being thankful for the trees, for you know, where, whatever circumstances. I, I do practice that a lot. Just changing my mindset from being worried about something or feeling bad about something. I, I've always had the discipline to say I'm really thankful. Uh, one of the things that I did for my children uh, was at birthdays, uh, you're, you're used to receiving all these gifts, right? So we practiced in our family when it was your birthday and you got a gift from somebody, you would say, uh, you, the gift giver would say, this is what I appreciate about you. And then mm. the receiver would say, this is what I love about you. And uh, I remember when the kids were little, they would say, oh, I like the skirt you're wearing. And I'd say, no, 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 <laughs> that doesn't count. You, you have to say what you love about your sister. Or, or mm. We do the same at Christmas time. Uh, when you get a gift, you compliment each other. We do that at Thanksgiving. And we yeah. practice in our home. Brilliant. I think I got one quick question for Phil. So I don't want to switch to Chris and get him to share his story of how he discovered gratitude as well. But how did you end up in Hong Kong? By accident. Mm -hmm. I was on a, on a field study. Uh, I was at the. I had gotten a scholarship at the uh, University of Hawaii at the East West Center, and as a part of that, we were to. I was a teacher trainer for English as a second language. And as a part of that, we were to go to. There were nine participants, and we were go to. We were to go to each other's universities and study their programs. 
And so the first place I went to was Hong Kong. And I had arrived in Hong Kong. The only way to get to the island was on the ferry. Uh, one of the students at the university lived in Hong Kong and she told me what to do. And I met my husband on the ferry that night. That's crazy. And, uh, oh, wow. Talked me into yeah, you mentioned that. Down <laughs> and talked me into it. And then I said, no, 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 I've got to leave. And I went to the Philippines where one of my roommates from Hawaii had been. She was a university professor. And uh, he called me every day and then he went and got me in the Philippines. He said, you have to come back. So I said, I'll come back for a week. And it proceeded that way about three different countries where he went and brought me back. And then we got married three months later. Wow. He pursued wow. me, basically. Wow. That's, that's amazing. A few stories that I think are going to resonate here, right? They're just, you know, first of all, how you met your wife and, and you know, how you discovered gratitude and what you've done with that. Uh, yeah, I think you need to bring some of those stories out. Thanks, Peter. Um, ladies, thank you for so much for sharing. I, there was so much I was trying to like just listen and not want to like participate because I was taking it all in. I, I there were so many things. Um, I really loved how you know your statement of saying you know um, people aren't hopeless. You know, and, and like that's the, just the message of letting people know like this is this is a moment in your life. This isn't your life. You know, I, I've been thinking lately about work. I'm working on like a, a you know a suicide prevention through gratitude. Right? It's like this is not your life. You know, you have. Uh, this is just a moment, you know, and there are things to be grateful for. And, you know, it is uh, in my book, I talk about I'm so grateful that gratitude is a choice, you know, that we have a choice to make. It's not something that's forced upon us. It's not just going to happen, but it's um, it's something you make a decision. It's a decision to make where you um, where you decide to basically shift focus. I, I had a uh, we had Hector Garcia, amazing author, uh, Peter and I a couple weeks back. And I asked him, like, what was what is gratitude to you? You know, and I could see we could see that he was he's very off the top. You could see that he was thinking. Right. He's like he's like, well, it's it's when I'm focusing on one thing that's wrong. And I have the realization there are 99 things going right. He's like and I had this picture in my head that gratitude to him was the image of when you just shift your head. You, you decide to just look this direction instead of here. That's this simplistic shift. And that's where you know, you were saying, Phyllis, about like, obviously, and that's, and that is the core of gratitude. It's like when things, obviously things aren't always going to go right, but if we can shift, we at least get perspective into, okay, this isn't our life. This isn't the end of the world. You know, this is just a moment. Um, and, you know, with gratitude, it's like, I, I feel like the game is like, it's like the lighthouse. So if you're, if you're in a depressive state, it's allowed you to know, take a breath and you see light, you know, and maybe that's all you need in a moment. Uh, but it's, it's about knowing it's there, right? It's about knowing that it exists. Um, but speaking of that, you know, just to share. So th thank you for saying that. I, I just loved, I, I feel like the more we can just share with people that this is, you know, these are moments. Um, nobody, your story is still being written. Every day you have a decision to make um, what your story is going to be. Nobody, nobody decides it but yourself. <laughs> you know, it's that whole idea if you wake up and you go, today I'm going to look for the color blue, you're going to see blue. If you wake up and go, I'm going to find things to be grateful for, you're going to find things to be grateful for. If you wake up and go like I do, my my thing I write, today is going to be a great day. And then at the end of the day, I go, why is today a great, was today a great day? And I always find reasons because I'm looking for them, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I feel like the more we can just share that with people, the more people hear it, eventually, you know, it can become sticky. Um, you know, I, I talk about that in my book too. It's like, these great ideas and things float around us all the time. But sometimes, sometimes we're present enough 
where something resonates with us. And that's where my story, you know, kind of came in in 2013. Um, my my birthday's in December and it was the fall and I was listening to a podcast. And the podcaster said, you know, I, he didn't celebrate his birthday. He said because uh, his, his family, but he said what he realized was, is he he said, if you're going to celebrate your birthday, it's like either make it about something else like a, an achievement or make it about someone else. And that's what it stuck with me, that whole someone else. And being my birthday has come by, I just, I didn't know what I was going to do, but that stuck, right? That stickiness, right? You hear something. So, you know, December 30th, I got up really early and I decided I, I was going to write my mom a gratitude letter. So it was essentially a gratitude letter. So I got up and I, I, I wrote this letter out. I uh, typed it up. I put it on her Facebook page and I just left it there to be a gift for her, just to surprise her. So I went about my morning and I normally get my call from my parents and they'd sing happy birthday to me and I didn't get my call. So I waited a little longer and um, I said, okay, well, I'm going to call my dad's cell phone number because I don't, I still, you know, I don't, I don't, I want to, you know, I want that surprise to be found. And I got my dad on the phone. He wished me happy birthday. And I, I thanked him and I pivoted and I said, I said, dad, I said, had mom read the letter? And he said that she had, and that she needed time and that she couldn't talk to me. Which just to give you guys a little reference to that, my mom, like I would have talked to her the day before, very close to her, you know, very young age, had no problem kissing her in public and saying, I love you. So this isn't to hear someone go, um, she needs time. That's not that still shocks me when I tell you, because that's not something you get when you're close to somebody for your entire life. Um, so, you know, we met later that day and it just caused this, you know, created a moment. Right. And the amazing thing about sharing gratitude or writing gratitude letters, like anybody can do it. There's no magic in writing the letter, but there's magic in what it can do, you know, uh, and just honesty and appreciation. Like there's, there's, it can create magical moments. So that was December 30th. And I, um, I didn't know at the time that my mom's cancer was going to come back and that four months to the day later, she would pass away in hospice care. So, um, you know, I, 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 I like to, I like to share that like gratitude stacks. Um, and just to go, uh, basically to my next section, which what you guys are doing is totally stacking too, right? I mean, we want to reference an Oscar. We said you, it's like when you do these kind acts and when you care and you say, we're going to love everybody, we're going to accept people, we're going to help people, it all stacks. And and I like using that term a lot. And so just simplistically with my story, right? Like I wrote a letter that was one stack. My mom read the letter, that was another stack. My dad read the letter, it was another stack. My sister read the letter, it was another stack, right? And then people online read it, it as another stack. But then I had a really big stack happen because because of what happened, right? Um, my dad asked me, do you want to say anything at the funeral? And I kept thinking about this letter and I had no desire to get up there and just be vulnerable. It just was not a place for me, but I kept thinking about this letter. So I had my cousin read the letter. So this next stack was that these letters, my words, you know, I'm going to tell you, I love you more often. I'm going to spend more time with you and make you more proud uh, are being read to me at my mom's funeral. And it was a very um, bittersweet moment, right? Because it was, you know, when I wrote that, I didn't think this is my last birthday with my mother. And honestly, we all know that we never think that, right? Like we always want to believe that life's forever, but honestly, like it's taking, it's those moments, right? It's the moments you realize that you have these times that this so impressed, so important. And through all that, and there's a lot more story there, but basically that letter's stacking right now, right? That letter's in the book, right? That letter sprung the book, which had 50 people writing in gratitude, which Peter wrote in, you know, his daughter wrote in, like it sprung Dear 2020, the book that's coming out at the end of this month, right? That's 40 other people talking about perspective in times of trouble, right? When a lot of people were saying, this is it, this is our life, right? But no, it's not. It's 
temporary. It's not your life. This is a moment, right? Um, but it's it's uh, it's so that's. I mean, I obviously there's a lot more story there, but I just that's 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 where I'll, I'll let Peter somebody else talk because I I, I want to hear more from you guys. Yeah, I mean, I I just love how you know you talk about stacking. I'm a finance guy. I talk about compound. You know, compound interest is you know, eighth wonder of the world. I think compound collaboration is is where a lot of magic things start to happen. And I'm sure you've collaborated continuously through Mother's Choice, right? And you keep on in getting introduced to people. And uh, that's why, you know, Chris has been amazing because, you know, from a couple of WhatsApps, a, a day later, we're, we're organizing a podcast, you know? So we, I don't know, this is a, like our 12th or 13th conversation and Chris just organizes the tech and, you know, I just throw the idea and bring in the people, but he's the one working the magic that is capturing this stuff, which to me is amazing. He's in Kentucky. Here we are in Hong Kong. And, you know, even gratitude for the technology that's enabling this, right? I think we started out in Zoom. Now it's you've, you've somehow got Stream a StreamYard. And, uh, you know, amazing. So last year, you thought, you, you know, a lot of physical events got canceled or trap travel and, and all that sort of stuff. But it actually accelerated a lot of the connections and a lot of the collaborations. Like I wouldn't have gone to that gratitude and pasta dinner, which is normally a physical event in New York, if it wasn't for him Go turning for it. it into a virtual event. And I was only curious about it because it had the word gratitude in it. And I kind of stumbled across the idea of gratitude through an event at uh, General Assembly. Um, I don't know if you ever came across that. It was kind of like night school for startups out of New York. And they brought it out to Hong Kong and they had a bunch of interesting speakers. And I used to just go along out of curiosity. And one of the guys was Mush Panjwani, um, a guy who'd been living here for a number of years. And he spoke about the essence of an entrepreneur. And I thought, oh, I'll go along and have a listen. And he'd been made redundant sort of unexpectedly. You know, he was 47 or something, very good at what he did, sales, very motivational, very positive. Um, but he decided, well, I've been made redundant, no big deal. You know, I, was, I wanted to write a book when I, in a few years anyway, I might as well just do it now. And he started talking about how he used to get up early in the morning, go for a swim, have a good breakfast, be at his desk by 7 a.m. And he would just block from 7 a.m. till 11. And um, he said, uh, you know, he reverse engineered the book, which made a big difference to me because it made it bite-sized pieces. He said, look, if you want to write a hundred page book and you want to finish it in a hundred days, that means you just need to do it in a, in, you know, one page a day. And we interviewed him recently and he actually said it was actually 100 Sundays. So it was actually over two years. In my that mind, I've really said a hundred days. And it gets <laughs> hundred days. <laughs> so I tried to write a book. The idea from <laughs> once a week till every day for a hundred days. That's what yeah, Peter so that's heard. Two he years did. that it took him. But there he was holding his book. Amazing. And I was on a flight the next day on the way to Melbourne and um, I had this notebook and I was just making lists of things. And I was, you know, going, well, I was, I was, I discovered Seth Godin around the same time. And he'd been writing a blog every day for the last 20 years or something. Sometimes it's a sentence or a paragraph. And um, I thought, well, you know, he's always saying ship your work. I'm not going to write a blog about finance or banking and stuff. I, you know, I think that would be kind of boring. But I had that idea of mush. The other thing he said was, you know, if you've got fresh running water in your wherever you live, you're already better off than 80% of the people on the planet, something like that. So having that perspective of gratitude was was what resonated. And I think I was also reading uh, Malcolm Gladwell and his 10,000 hours. And so I put all these things together. I said, well, maybe I could do 10,000 thank yous. 
and you know you do one a day that's actually a 27 year project and you know i pause at different times i haven't gone continuously but i'm up to 1300 or something like that but if it wasn't for that discipline of looking for something good that's happening there's no way i would have written that first book so i did another book about six or seven years ago and i made it exactly 100 pages because you know mush had set the scene and you don't write a second book unless you've written the first book so you know productive accidents wouldn't have happened so we definitely need to work on your book, Phyllis. So that's that's a takeaway, you know, whatever it takes, even if it's just an essay for one of Chris's books, you know, get published in that as, as step one. And then gradually we'll, we'll add to that. And that's why I really like how Chris has got this, this series of books where any unpublished author can suddenly write, uh, you know, a thousand words and they're in a book, which is, again, is a baby step towards maybe doing their own book at some stage in the future. So anyway, between you, all of your seven children and your six children and my four children, you know, eventually we'll get them to contribute to one of Chris's books, which would be kind of fun. I just said to my daughter, that's going to be your job. Yeah. <laughs> I can help so with that. I'll go and interview each of you and bring out some of the stories. That would be a fun project. I think uh, in, in my case, when uh, you know, when Peter was talking about introducing uh, me to to Chris and the, and his story and the possibility of uh, doing something here in this space, uh, I resonated a lot with it. And then I was thinking, why? Why? Why is it uh, so much? And uh, and I never actually thought about it. But then the whole dear Hong Kong project is based on gratitude. It's my our own personal gratitude for for the city we live in. Then the building or compound uh, gratitude for for the people that we we interview because they're sharing their stories and they're touching our lives and changing our lives uh, in a way and and the gratitude of uh, everybody in the book as well for for the city they they love no so I think it's a commonality and also the gratitude we have to the volunteers because it's a volunteer project so it's a lot of people putting their time and effort. Uh, and skills into into something that uh, is bringing them intangibles. It's uh, somehow, you know, like making them uh, happier and making us happy. So I wanted to ask you both, like, uh, because this is a question we ask uh, in the book. If you had to write a letter to Hong Kong, what, what would the first words be? What would be in that letter? I, I think, um, I don't know if you heard about our great diaper miracle. Uh, when was it? How long ago was this? In January. In January, uh, we discovered that the company that always gives us all of our diapers said that they had to put a pause on it. And when we checked our supply, we only had less than two weeks, than two weeks of diapers. Now we use hundreds of thousands of diapers, right? So Alia got out on the internet and said, we need diapers. And you wanna tell them the story, how many we got? And oh yeah, well, we thought, we, we've had diaper shortages before in the past and um, we just, it wasn't me, it was some of my awesome teammates just put together a little postcard and we printed it out and we put it on our doors in our childcare home and, and we posted it on our Facebook pages and we thought, you know, maybe my sister or her book club will will send in a few. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we we really thought maybe we'll get a few packs of of diapers, maybe from the volunteers. We don't have that many followers on Facebook, so we didn't really 
expect to have a lot of response, but we've been overwhelmed with gratitude. It was mm-hmm. January 7th that we put up that postcard. You know, we've seen a lot of trauma and hardship since this whole COVID thing and, and before that social unrest here in Hong Kong with the, the clients that we serve. We've seen more, more rape, more abuse, more complexity with the children and young women that we serve. Um, you know, everybody is under a lot more stress. The vulnerable have become more vulnerable. And yet we're filled with so much hope in 2021. Mm. And, and I think the diaper miracle is just an example. I mean, we were expecting maybe five people to respond, but thousands of people responded. Mm. I think our Facebook post was shared 132,000 times. Wow. It was and retweeted mm. by kind of the major me- who don't even follow us. So I don't know quite how it happened, but literally thousands and thousands of people. And they weren't, they weren't rich people. They weren't, I mean, like individual people came, little old ladies mm. and young families or new moms and, and people's neighborhood group or book club or whatever came and brought their one or two or three bags of diapers and wipes and they wrote notes. I'm going to start crying if I think about the notes that they wrote to us, but just saying that they wanted to help. And, you know, there was, I mean, I remember one new mom who came with her baby and she said, I really don't have a lot of extra, but I thought, I buy diapers for my baby, so I'm just gonna bring half of what I brought for my baby at the supermarket this week. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna give it. And it added up to like two years worth of diapers, more than that. Well, we didn't have place, I'm I'm not gonna turn the camera around, but there's diapers under all of our desks and in all of our shelves. (laughs) It just was such a reminder to me that you know, when you think you're alone, when you think all hope is lost, when you don't know how you're going to move forward, actually there are people who do want to help. And sometimes there are people you don't even know, you know? And and actually when people have that willingness to be grateful for what they have, so that, because you need that to want to share with somebody else. When people have that gratitude for what they have and they bring even their little, their little thing, you know, because it's not always just diapers and wipes. When people are willing to say, I'm willing to give what I have, mm-hmm. added together, that can be a lot. And so the great diaper miracle of 2021, that's what we call it here. You know, I think it's really a metaphor for the whole story of Mother's Choice. It's a story for our lives. And we haven't shared our own personal stories, but we've had to overcome our own tragedy and heartbreaks too. You know, mm-hmm. but... It's not about having a perfect life or having all the resources or having everything all together, all lined up. But when you're grateful and you can see from a different perspective and you bring the little piece that you have, you actually can make a difference. And making a difference in even one person's life can end up changing the whole world. So we had so many diapers come. There were truckloads um, mm-hmm. from supermarkets, or yeah. that that they just took every all the inventory and gave it to us. And I remember coming down on the board road where where we have a, an office. There were four truckloads standing in line, and uh, and I wept 
because the driver said, well, my boss told me to give you 10 packets, but I bought two as well, you know, and, and I just wept the whole day as they were bringing these diapers. We didn't know what to do with them. They filled our offices, filled, you know, we had to find a place to store them in the end. But I was uh, talking about gratitude. Uh, for me, you know, you work in an office, you work with trauma, you work with babies, and, and there's a lot of volunteers, but you think, who really cares? And at that point, I just said, Hong Kong responded, and I was so grateful, and I, I cried, like, for three days, because those divers kept coming in, crying as what we're going to do with them, who's going to sort them out, small, medium, large, but I was really grateful for Hong Kong. They stepped up to the plate, and... and have been there for us, mm -hmm. and I was, I was really grateful. Mm -hmm. It's quite an so, what's next for Mother's Choice, and you know, how can we help? Yeah, that's a great question, Peter. We, even though this is a season of great uncertainty for the world, and not just Hong Kong, I think for the United States, for every country in the world, there's great uncertainty. And obviously there's financial uncertainty, but we feel that this is the time for us to step up and do more. This is the time, this isn't the time to hold back because we're not sure where the money is gonna come from. This is a time for us to do more. So we're actually expanding our services this year, which I realize sounds crazy, but um, actually it's in adversity. That's the story of how we got started is willing to step up even when you don't know where it's gonna come from. We are um, expanding our services for our single moms who choose parenting. We support women no matter what choice they make and single teen moms are extremely vulnerable. And so um, one of our new programs is really building a network of volunteers and community support around them so their kids don't end up in the foster care or orphanage system here. The second thing that we're really expanding in this season is our early intervention work. You know, there is a really long wait list for children with special needs. And with schools being shut down, with, with um, hospitals being more restricted, um, and with more and more, especially drug use, um, with um, kids who are in the system, there's just the need for early intervention therapies has really increased. So we're expanding our early intervention care. We're also expanding our outreach for young women who are vulnerable you know we work with girls as young as 12 12 to 25 is our kind of focus and really being available and exploring how we can use technology to be where they're at because they've become more isolated um, with everything that's happening in the world so yeah we're planning to do more and, and we really hope that people will consider engaging with us you know you can give financially we always need money but it's more than just money i think really educating yourself on what's happening, um, really learning more and, and ultimately considering volunteering, whether it's as a foster parent or using your um, professional skills. I mean, there's many different ways to volunteer. So we really encourage people just to come and learn more. We, we host information sessions about the challenges that, we, uh, that our city face every month. And we say, even if you don't want to financially support or volunteer with Mother's Choice, please come along and learn more, even if it inspires you to help anybody, because I think anybody who's working with the vulnerable in any community right now needs more help. So come and educate yourself, learn more, and we hope that when it will- When do you do those? Like, when is your next information session? Where do you do those? Oh, Are they man, or I, I wish I'd looked that up before we did this call. It's okay. I mean, 
So we host them every month and we post it on our website, which okay. is www.motherschoice.org. And yeah, we do it on Zoom now. Um, so mm -hmm. anybody can dial in and we really encourage, there's no obligation. Like you can just come yeah. and learn. I'd like to join one of those. I think info sessions, generic info sessions are really powerful because it just plants a seed and may not happen immediately, but at some stage, something, you know, someone will be able to work out a way to contribute. So by chance, I met one of your pretty uh, involved volunteers is the Wall family. So Rob, I met years ago through a tennis buddy and uh, yeah, I've been staying in touch with all their work, um, which is amazing. Yeah. Well, once you once you get involved, um, especially in welcoming a child into your own home, um, fostering will change your life. So, I mean, that's one thing that I would just consider people, you know, I, even my husband and I, we used to think it's something that we couldn't do because we had a lot of our own kids. We both were both CEOs. We both work full time. You know, we can't do it. But and, and for my husband, his biggest concern was saying goodbye. When you're a foster parent, you're really a temporary parent. You know, and you can love that child, but you know that child's going to be adopted or go back to their birth family. And so yeah. you, you have to be prepared for the grief. And he thought we could never do it. But it's it's actually something, you know, we've learned that your hearts can be expanded. You can give so much more than you ever thought. And the Wall family, I think, are an amazing example of of opening their home and their hearts again and again as a whole family. Their kids are as committed as the parents are to welcoming children into their own home. So yeah, I think their lives have been changed as much as the many children that they've hosted. And then the other great Hong Kong story that I kind of discovered again through Creative Mornings, I think it was, was Impact Hong Kong and Jeff Rutmeyer and all he's been doing for homeless people, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of good things going on. I think we're at the hour. So unless Chris, Oscar, you want to have some closing comments? I just, I just want to say because, uh, I mean, you've been talking about the volunteer and the benefits of, uh, you know, fostering the foster family or volunteering for the organization. Quoting uh, Peter in his uh, Productive Accidents book, volunteering is a superpower. And, and, and when I was reading it, it was, yes, it's a... <laughs> It is, a, if you take it as such, it's, a, it's something that will enrich you personally uh, and will open up uh, different possibilities because you're tuning into something that you really uh, like and, and you find it meaningful. So anything coming up from there, it would be good. So. I, I think of it as it just levels the playing field, right? Because it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you're all thinking about the same idea or you all care about the same the same cause and that's where uh, you know a lot of interesting things start to happen and you know so the the long story was we ended up sponsoring a child in that school in tanzania and then we got a newsletter saying oh they're going back to australia because 90 percent of their donors were from australia because that's where she started the school uh started the idea and i just said well you've got to fly via asia somehow why don't you come into singapore and stay with us and i'll organize a few events and again we didn't know what type of events we were going to organize, but three international schools hosted her colleagues at work and a friend who had an art gallery did two evening events. And the response that she got was so good that whenever they fly through Asia, they stay with us or, you know, they've come to Hong Kong. We've had a Maasai tribal guy stay with us. Felix Malel, when I went over to Tanzania and, and he picked me up at the airport, that was kind of surreal that, you know, these adventures happen while you're helping other people as well, right? And it makes your life, you know, that much richer. 
Um, so that's what I really got out of volunteering. And, you know, hearing John Wood's story as well of how, you know, he's hiking in Nepal and goes into a library that doesn't have any books. And the guy just challenges him, well, you know, maybe you can do something. And so he, he, next time he's at an internet cafe, he encourages all his friends back in the US to drop off books at his parents' garage. And a few months later, they have a, a ship's container full and he and his dad drop them off, you know, to some remote village in, in, uh, in Nepal. And fast forward, John and I are pretty good friends and he wrote the forward to my book, which is again, sur surreal. So these connections, imagine if you didn't volunteer, you know, what have you missed out on? So much, you know, stuff that, that has made uh, life so much better. So keep up the great work. Thank you for everything that you're doing. And uh, thank you for getting up early on a Monday public holiday morning. This is a big, big uh, effort from everyone, I think. So really appreciate your time and learning more about your story and what you've been able to do. There's one last thing. Uh, we're going to have this uh, book launch uh, on Thursday at Asia Society. So Phil is going to be speaking there. Thank you so much. Amazing. I want to be there. In the audience, uh, John Wood is going to be in the audience. Uh, also, there will be people connecting uh, through through uh, Zoom. So, Chris, if you're more than invited, I will share with you the details. So, we're very happy because after publishing the book in December, we have we have the opportunity now to do a celebration and uh, do a book launch. Yeah, Asia so, Society is great. We went there for um, the other book that is. Uh, the gift of reading, right, which is also in support of Room to Read. So, yeah, amazing to see these compounding collaborations continue. I, I want to say something up, uh, before we close out here. I just wanted to say that, um, you know, speaking about being a service, you know, I, I feel like, be, you know, to be a catalyst for gratitude, the easiest way to do that is just being kind to somebody. And when you when you show up for somebody and you're like, I'm here for you and you let them know you see them, that's you're just you're creating an atmosphere for gratitude to exist. And that's what kindness does. And when you when somebody volunteers, so many great things are happening there. Right. Because they're creating this atmosphere at the same time. When you when you focus on somebody else, you stop thinking about your problems at that moment. That's that's that directional turn we were talking about. Right. Like as soon as you're with somebody and you're with them, like at that moment, like you're in the moment and you're not lost up here in monkey mind problems. You've, this person has literally just helped you switch that, you know, you have to have the person there's, that's your gauge to switch to being present to going, allowing you to drop all that baggage. And I, I love, I love that story you guys shared at the end so much because it just, I feel like it brought full circle it, you know, 34 years ago, we said, we want to help people. And then a day later, there's somebody on your door. And then a day later, there's a baby. There's two, you know, there's a, you know, and then you fast forward 34 years later and you've helped all these people and you have all these people and you just put a call out and go, we're short on diapers. And then bam, like, and then there's, and then you just have this beautiful story of, I think people, people do want to help. People do care, right? And it's like, you gave them. So the amazing thing is like, you gave people an opportunity to be of service, right? And at the same time, it changed you all, obviously, because you're in, in this process of serving these other people. And it's just like this, this big mass, it just, your story was just so beautiful. You think you all start 34 years ago, these few people, the little idea, somebody shows up 34 years later, you, you've helped all these people and you just go, we're shy. And like, then truckloads of diapers show up. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's just full of hope. Like when people want to look around and go, the world's gone to blah, blah, blah. I go, no, no, no. That's not the way it is. There are, it's what you want to focus on. So any given day we get to choose, it's like a year 2020. It's like, we get to choose. What are we focusing on? I want to focus on the diapers showing up 
at your all's charity. That's what I want to focus on. So thank you for when I, and all your stuff, you shared beautiful things, but I'm going to remember that story so much because it just encapsulates so well that just the beautiful atmosphere and the love that Hong Kong and you all have, uh, have. Uh, so thank you for that so much. Thanks. Thank it's you. a privilege being with you, uh, with you all. You all have our visionaries of how we can help change happen. And we share that in common and it encourages us to do more too. Uh, what can we do that's even more? So thank you totally. so much for totally. today. I'm looking forward to meeting uh, so Victoria, the founder of Resolve. She's coming around this afternoon for afternoon tea. We're getting to meet her first baby, Estella, which is going to be pretty cool. So yeah, good fun. Looking forward to that. Thanks. Look forward to, learn, to going to your info session as well. That'll be really good. I want to do that too. So make sure somebody gets me. Maybe Peter can share that with me. Yeah, yeah. yeah because it's on Zoom. And Oscar, for your book launch at Asia Society, that's going to be amazing. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Chris. It's Graduate Space. Same for everybody. Just to remind everybody to stay grateful. We've got some great books that we flashed, uh, and we're going to have uh, Mother's Choice uh, with a website. It'll be in the show notes. So if you guys want to reach out and like I said, if you just want to show up for the Zoom thing, I think that's amazing. Or if you want to support them in any way, um, just happy we could put something together to share the organization and we all got to share. And uh, that's it. So I'm Chris, Graduate Space Radio, just saying we are out. <laughs>